Hello, and welcome to episode 31 of Screaming Through the Ages, a horror movie history podcast. I'm your host, as always, Trey Whetstone, coming in from Columbus, Ohio. And on today's episode, we're not necessarily going into the history or background of anything, but we're looking back at the year that was. This is the best of 2022 episode, and the best horror of 2022, I will say. So this one, to give you kind of a rundown of what I'm going to be doing with this, it's a little similar to last year's, but it's a little different. Some of the categories have changed because those categories that were on this episode are getting bumped to other things. You know, I think I did a non-horror list. I should be joining the crew over on Phantom Galaxy to do a non-horror list again over there. As far as a video game list, I am thinking about doing, not just thinking, I probably will do later, maybe maybe in a little while once I get some other games finished, but a, you know, top 10 games of the year on Screaming Ages Plays, and as far as, like, physical media releases, I am also on Phantom Video right now, so that's not necessarily something that I'm going to be jumping into. Instead, I have a couple of other top lists from the year to go over, a couple new and a little bit different list. I will also be starting here with the box office returns for horror films, and then... We'll be jumping into, later on, the kind of the meat of this episode, which is the top 25, or my top 25, horror movies of 2022. I do 25 because, you know, I've seen a lot of movies. Uh, I think this year I clocked in just at 100 horror movies, and it's such a good year. I mean, as long as we are putting out enough releases for me to have a solid top 25, I will do a solid top 25, and I think this is the... Definitely better than last year's, but we can get into that later. And then I will end the show. I've been collecting some top tens from listeners and also from other podcasters in the community who maybe gave their top tens on other episodes. And I'm doing a horror movie podcast style compilation of those and kind of putting out a, you know, community top ten at the end of this. So if that's something you've been missing on, you know, from Horror Movie Podcast, then hopefully that scratches the itch and gives you a, you know, listener community type top 10 that's put together. But I'm not going to waste any time. If this is your first episode, I'm going to get right into this so you don't have to deal with much more of this housekeeping up front. Let me go ahead and get into the Horror Box Office of 2022. Okay, so yeah, I love tracking the box office returns of horror and all other genres, and just seeing where things land and where, you know, movies that I champion, celebrating when they're high on the list, and, you know, kind of being in dismay when they're not. But what I did last year and what I've done on, you know, I've done a bonus episode on this, I've posted on social media groups, um, just about the listing of horror movies in the box office. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to start backwards from, and it worked out, all I'm including here are the top 100 movies at the box office. So it's just as many that were in the top 100. This year there were 20 in the domestic box office that's US and Canada. So it works out kind of good. So I'll start with the domestic and then I will move into the worldwide grosses. And you know, that is everything combined. There weren't as many of those and that's to be expected. But let's go ahead and start off. I will be giving its position on the list of horror movies, its position on the overall top 100, and then what it grossed. 
And as I've mentioned before, 2022 was kind of a bounce back year for the box office. It didn't reach the heights pre-COVID of like 2019, but we were climbing back up that way. And I think, you know, if we have a good enough slate in 2023, I think what it was proving was people wanted a certain kind of movie. They wanted a good kind of movie. And if a movie was good enough or had enough buzz, it was going to do well at the box office. And I think we saw that play out. So hopefully, you know, we can get back to a normal type level. But another thing to remember is there were just so many less movies released in 2022 in theaters than there have been in previous years. And I don't necessarily mind that. I would love to see movies get to run for a little longer, at least if it's even if it's only like, you know, six weeks or seven weeks, sometimes we get a movie for one or two weeks and then maybe it's in one theater that it's sharing with another one and it's playing at like nine o'clock for some of these horror movies. It's not ideal. You feel like you have to get out there and rush to see something, but we saw something like Top Gun Maverick that just kind of persisted the entire year. But enough of that setup. Let's go ahead and start with number 20. And number 20 is an interesting one. It's Orphan First Kill. And 20th in horror, but 97th overall out of the top 100. It's interesting because this one was also on streaming, so it was day and date streaming. And it managed to rake in, and I'm going to be rounding these for the benefit of those listening. I know it's hard to kind of grasp anything else um, when you're listening to this, if we go complete detail, but it's basically $5.4 million. So $5,400,000. And I I would say that's pretty good for day and date streaming for this movie. You know, it's a sign, like I was saying earlier, that we had kind of a weaker box office than pre-pandemic just because of like... 5 million at the number 97 slot. I don't think that would happen a lot. Uh, This box office year, I will tell you right now, is very top-heavy. But we'll get there. There were some good success stories. Number 19 is Men, and that is number 88 on the top 100. And that raked in just a little over 7 million. So Men came out earlier in the year, and I tell you, the way the year started, I didn't think we were going to have much horror really topping the list. It was looking pretty bleak, pretty dire, uh, but Mem was one of those up higher, you know, when everything else was kind of waiting to come out later in the year. Number 18, we have Fall, uh, which comes in at 87 over all, so you can imagine just one spot forward, it's 7.2 million. And I liked Fall. Fall's not going to make my list, but I thought it was a pretty good effort for what I was expecting. I didn't know what to expect going in. I thought it was a pretty decent movie. Number 17 is Bones and All, which came out later in the year and didn't have much of a theater run, honestly. That is 85th overall, and it came in at 7.8 million. Pretty decent as far as like the kind of theatrical run that it had. It was one of those that was kind of relegated to one show time after a couple of weeks, and it didn't get much run there, but Uh, That is Bones and All. Number 16 is Pearl, which is the sequel to X. That came in at 78. And I know, unsurprisingly, I mean, you could probably chart where it was going to land. It's 9.4 million, and it is less than X. X already had a disappointing return, and it was kind of a disappointing horror box office return year for A24. Even though they're kind of used to having movies land in the range. I mean, A24 films usually don't break out and destroy the box office. I think I've talked about this before. That's where, you know, that's why a particular non-horror movie 
is very surprising from A24 this year. But we're going to see a lot of A24 coming up here soon. Number 15, we have Firestarter, which I think was day and date streaming as well. And that finished 75th and racked in 9.5 million, which isn't bad. It does have that legacy of being a remake. 14 is the surprise of the year. It's Terrifier 2 at 70th overall. And it brought in 10.6 million. This movie was made for, I think, a quarter of a million dollars, so 250,000. And it raked in 10.6 million. That's pretty good. Regardless of what you think about the movie and how you feel about it, that's pretty impressive. Number 13 is Bodies, 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 another A24 film. That is 68th overall and brought in 11.4 million. And at number 12, we have yet another A24 film with X, and it came at 66th and made 11.7 million. Number 11 is Pray for the Devil, which came out later in the year. That is all the way up to 54th place with 19.8 million. So now we're getting into, I mean, I think that had maybe a little bit bigger budget, but we're getting into decent returns for these. I have not seen this or the number 10, but I haven't really heard good things. This is kind of the lackluster spot of the list, 9 through 11, for me personally. Number 10 is The Invitation, which came in at 47th, and that is 25.1 million. Again, I haven't seen it, but I haven't heard great things about this or Pray for the Devil. And I know number 9, which is Beast, starring Idris Elba, I'm sure that's what drove most of the box office for this one, came in at 45th, and it was 31.8 million. Not a huge fan of that one either, so this is kind of those movies where they didn't necessarily get a lot of critical acclaim, but they did really well with the box office. Number eight, I'm happy to see this one here, but I don't know what the budget was on this one with the cast that it had. And that is the menu. And that came in at 43rd, and that one released, you know, later in November, so that's pretty good cum for that period of time, and you know it's not gonna stick around in the box office forever just because of all the other stuff coming out around the holidays. So that one pulled in 34.2 million. Pretty good day. Number seven is Barbarian, which was a surprise hit. I remember when this one kind of hit with that groundswell. And, you know, this is getting good reviews from the community as well as doing good at the box office. So that's a, a home run there for Barbarian. It is 38th overall and pulled in $40.8 million. Number six is Don't Worry Darling, which is very interesting here. I don't know if this, I guess it's, I would consider it horror. I don't, wouldn't fault you if you thought it wasn't. But the same with the menu. I mean, there's several movies on this list that are kind of borderline of what they fall into, whether they're horror or not horror. And either way, I think, you know, I'm much more lenient and apt to say that something's going to fall into horror. But anyway, that's Don't Worry Darling. It's at 35th overall and came in at 45.3 million. Number five, a very divisive film, and this one didn't live up to what people thought. I did a whole episode on why, you know, the Peacock thing might have hurt the box office return. I'm not talking about whether it's a good movie or not. I was on an episode of Father and Son Watch Horror, if you want to hear that, talking about that one. But that is Halloween Ends, and that came in at 30th for the year. And brought in $64 million, just a little over. And yeah, that's... We're getting into the big numbers now. But that's still a pretty disappointing return for what this one could have done. I mean, people were suspecting this would pull in around $80 million, Like the, you know, 
sequel that comes next. But it didn't. It just didn't get there. And if you want to listen back to that episode I did in October, I did a whole episode on what people thought might have killed the box office for Halloween Ends. Number four is Scream. And that came in at 25th. Brought in a pretty impressive 81.6 million, I'd say, especially for being earlier in the year. That was one that's been in this top five for the entirety of the year, really. That came out early. I mean, that was the second week of the year. And that's impressive because that used to be the dumping ground. And I'm sure I'll talk about Scream a little later. But it's just pretty cool that it came out that early in the year and it was a box office success. And I thought it was a pretty good movie. Number three is The Black Phone, which came in at 23rd. And this was the long-awaited return of Scott Derrickson to the horror genre. And it brought in $89.8 million. So we're getting up there, and this is that phenomenon where... It's not really a phenomenon, it's just kind of the different way to tackle a theatrical horror movie release. You know, you can either go with a small budget and hope to make, you know, $20 million dollars. Or you can put a little bit more into it and hope to reach the heights of something like The Black Phone. And I think Blumhouse does a good job of doing both. And in this case, they struck it pretty good with that one. Number two, I think, was one of the biggest surprises of the year next to Barbarian. Because people knew about Smile, but they didn't know what it was going to be. And the marketing campaign was amazing for this movie. It was everywhere. Whoever put together that marketing campaign did a fantastic job, you know, with people standing up behind home plate at baseball games, or standing in the background on the Today Show. Fantastic marketing, and it paid off. So 16th overall, and it brought in $105.9 million, so almost $106 million. And number one is that unstoppable force at the box office. It is Nope, and came in at only 14th overall, so horror didn't crack the top 10 this year. And this didn't get to, you know, us levels, or I don't even think it reached Get Out levels. But that's to be understood because this is a different type of movie and we're in a different type of climate as far as theater going. But it did pull in $123.2 million, so that's pretty impressive. Jordan Peele strikes again and does a good job at the box office. Okay, so let's very quickly go over the worldwide top horror movie list. And I'm saying very quickly because we're mentioning pretty much these same movies. So at number 13, and I'm going to try my best to pronounce this, Bull Bulaya 2. And that is an Indian horror film. Uh, so that came in at number 100, so just there on the list, with 18.3 million worldwide. Number 12 is The Invitation at 67th. So that's a huge leap up. Not a lot of horror in that mid-range there. And The Invitation pulled in 33.7 million. You've got it at 11 is Orphan First Kill at 63rd overall with 37 million Probably to do with not streaming overseas or anywhere else. I'm not sure. I would say that's probably the reason that pulled in so much, but good for Orphan. Number 10 is Pray for the Devil at 60th, and that pulled in 43.3 million. Number 9 is Barbarian at 59th with 45.3 million. Number 8, we have Beast at 53rd with 59 million, just a little over 59 million. Number 7 is The Menu at 49th with 68.9 million, almost 69 million. Number 6 is Don't Worry Darling at 40th with 86.7 million. Number 5 is Halloween Ends at 32nd with 104.1 million. Number 4 is Scream at 30th with 140 million. 
Number three is the black phone at 28th with 161 million. I think those are pretty impressive numbers for the black phone and scream and really Halloween ends too. I mean, that's not a bad day at all for something like the black phone to pull on 161 million. But uh, number two is Nope. So it got dethroned from its top spot in the domestic box office. And that is 25th with 171.2 million. And that leaves number one to be Smile, which could, couldn't even, you know, crack into the teens. It is 20th overall. And at 216.1 million, that is insane for Smile. I'm impressed on what they did worldwide. I mean, that's that's pretty good. So congratulations, Smile, for taking that worldwide box office and having that much of a draw. I mean, that's you're getting into pretty good territory there for a low-budget horror movie. All right, so that kind of wraps up my nerdy uh, box office talk there for this year. I will be back next year to make you all listen to that once again. But moving on, I wanted to do... A list that was more of a fun one-off list that really doesn't have anything to do with 2022, except for, you know, these movies are streaming at a certain place in 2022. Okay, so as of when I'm recording this episode, these movies are all in this service, at least. So this is the honorary Bill Van Vegel Top 10 Movies to Watch on Tubi. Now, these aren't necessarily the best horror movies on Tubi, These are ones that I recommend if you haven't seen them already. We have some lesser-known ones here, as well as some, you know, bigger ones. But, you know, people like to give Bill crap for Tubi, and yes, there's a lot of crap on Tubi for sure. There's also a lot of crap on Prime Video or anywhere else like that. So I wanted to shine a spotlight on at least some interesting movies that you can find on Tubi. So number 10, I have The Lorelei's Grasp, which is kind of a monster-type movie from the... 70s that is directed by Amano de Asario, who did the Blind Dead movies. I think the Lorelei's Grasp was a lot of fun. It's not a great movie, but I wanted to put it as, you know, well, I think it's a pretty good movie myself. I don't know what everyone else will think, but it's kind of that cheesy monster movie type feel. Would definitely recommend checking that out. Number nine, I have the found footage movie Butterfly Kisses, which I've always been a big fan of since it released. I think that's a really solid found footage if you're into that type of movie. Number eight is Housebound, which was from, I think, 2014, and that was from New Zealand. It's a really cool kind of horror comedy movie set basically in the same location and setting, really like Housebound. Number seven is a tie, because I know how much Bill loves ties. The first one is, you know, a Greg Bozzelli favorite with I Like Bats, which just was released this year in that um, House of Psychotic Women set. But that's a really cool, I think it's 80s vampire movie. And it's tied because I want to put it in with another vampire movie. This is a sleazy movie from Belgium from the 70s. And that is Daughters of Darkness, which is one of my favorites of that time period. Number six is Slumber Party Massacre, the original one. And that's just a fun slasher that I think has a little bit of tongue-in-cheek stuff with it. And I... I really like the Slumber Party Massacre and think it sets itself apart from some other slashers. Number five is the cosmic horror, The Void. Now, I didn't like this one the first time I watched it, but upon rewatch, I really got into The Void, and, you know, I can't recommend that one enough. Number four is Ty West, The Innkeepers, which shouldn't need a whole lot of explanation. That's much more of a kind of low-key 
horror movie than some of his other stuff. But I really like The Innkeepers, and I think, you know, it's deliberate pace and all this stuff still adds to the tension and the build, and yeah, really like that one. Number three is The Stepford Wives from the 70s. This one is just, I feel, one of those overlooked 70s sci-fi horror movies. I think it's a classic myself, and I'm pretty upset that there's no Blu-ray, and I think the DVD might be out of print. I paid a decent amount of money for the Blu-ray I own of this one. Yeah, you've got to check this one out if you haven't already. Number two is Troll Hunter, and I think that's one that a lot of people love and talk about, and it's a really good found footage, kind of fantasy horror movie. Love Troll Hunter. And number one, of course, one of Bill Van Vegel's all-time favorite movies. He loves talking about it. He loves defending himself about it. It is Suspiria, the Dario Argento classic. So that is my list of, I guess, top 11 movies to stream on Tubi that are all pretty good, and I like all of these movies. So, Bill, that was your moment to shine on this show. Stay tuned for next year's edition, where I talk about, you know, Nathan Bartlebaugh's honorary top 10 stop-motion monster movies. So, all joking aside, we're going to get into the meat of this episode, at least part of the meat of this episode. I'm excited for the end listeners list as well. But I'm going to go ahead and get into my top 25 horror movies of 2022. So once again, to reiterate, yes, I do put together a top 25. I don't think that's, you know, people have always been very strict on top 10 and honorable mentions and things like that. I just want to, and I'm going to try not to be down on any movies and not talk about, you know, movies that didn't make my list I didn't like. I just want to celebrate horror movies, and I think 2022 was a great year for it. I don't think there's any difference. I mean, I watched 100 horror movies. I'm still only picking a quarter of the horror movies I watched to shine a spotlight on. Now, of course, there'll be another section shortly after this where I'm going to go into some maybe lesser seen horror films, but that's kind of something different. The point is, is I just want to shout out as many as possible, and I think as long as I can make a steady and solid top 25, I will. This year was a year where... It was just so deep. I don't think it's as good as the top of maybe like 2019 or 2018 or 2017. Those years were pretty good at the top. But I think this is one of the deeper years for horror that we've ever had. And at least in recent memory, I mean, I could do a top 50 and still have solid movies. Everything in my top 25, I rated as a 7.5 or higher. So, it's just been a really good year for horror as far as the depth of it. Again, the top spot, I don't really know if I had a consensus number one. I know last year with Last Night in Soho being my number one, I do think that was the best movie of the year. I don't think it was up to the standards of, again, some of the movies we saw before COVID. But I seriously do think this year takes the cake as far as the deepness of what we got. I might give just a brief plot summary for some of these, but I'm not going to go into depth on any of them as far as that. Just feel free to check them out, and a lot of these you're going to have heard of and watched anyway. My first one was a latecomer to the list, and it was something I checked out on Netflix, and Netflix does a really good job of securing foreign horror movies, and really 
some stuff you would have never heard of otherwise. I mean, we got something like Incantation, which, spoiler alert, will not make my list, but I thought Incantation was a good movie from this year. I just think Netflix does a good job. I think that's where they strive, is pulling in those foreign horror movies that we wouldn't have heard of otherwise. And yes, it sucks that they don't do a physical release, but I would rather have the movie to watch than not have the movie to watch. And I think that might happen with something like this. It might just be overlooked. At least on Netflix, it's got a chance to shine. This movie is called The Chalk Line, and it was directed by Ignacio Tate. And this is a bit of a long one. It has a pretty decent runtime on it. But I'll tell you what, it's mainly about, and this one is my, as always, my number 25, might not hit. With everyone, it's kind of like the last one on my list that I want to make sure I shout out and I did enjoy. In this movie, this couple find a girl out on the road, and she's traumatized and can't even really speak, and so she goes to this kind of like psychiatric ward or um, a mental institution. She, they're kind of try to work with her and get her better. And they think maybe the best thing for her would be to go with these two back to their house and have them try to work with her. And the story unfolds from there. It's really, it was a really surprising movie. I didn't expect it to, I didn't expect to like it as much as I did, but I really did. And I recommend that that would be maybe one that some people in the community haven't seen. I mean, I see on Letterboxd, there's only one other person that I'm following on Letterboxd that has even seen this movie. So I don't think it got a lot of buzz, but I think it's cool. I wouldn't go in expecting, you know, a classic, but it's a pretty solid Spanish horror movie. Number 24, this was a, another surprise, and it was Dark Glasses. Uh, that is Dario Argento's Dark Glasses, by the way. This is just one that I didn't expect it kind of came out of nowhere, and honestly, I, you know, I didn't think it was going to be any good. I, When people were seeing it early on in the year, I waited until it came to Shudder in October, but people were seeing it early on in the year, and it was kind of getting, like, middle-of-the-road reviews, you know, sixes, 6.5s, things like that. I ended up liking this a decent amount, and it just barely, I mean, there was a fight for the last few spots on this list. There were a couple places that were hard to put together on this list. And that was, you know, like the middle section from like 15 to 8, and then this section here, which was the end. And I think at the end of the day, I do just want to keep Dark Glasses on here because I did enjoy it. It was a return to form for Argento in his best film since probably Sleepless. And yeah, he, he did it. He came back in his 80s and made a really good basics, back to basics, giallo film you know let's get us some characters that we care about and let's get a solid you know grounded story and let's let it play out and i think that's where dark glasses thrives number 23 is bodies 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 directed by helena ryzen and i i don't have a lot to say about this one i just thought it was a fun movie it was much better than i anticipated i didn't know what to expect going in but, you know, it's got Lee Pace in it, and I'm a huge Lee Pace fan. I was just, I think a lot of people where they fall off with Bodies, Bodies, Bodies is the way it ends and the kind of, the nature of that. I'm not going to say anything else about the ending, but I thought Bodies, Bodies, Bodies was a lot of fun. I thought it had, I liked where it went with the ending. I really did. 
this was one that after I saw it, you know, kind of midway through the year, it was higher up on my list. It was something I didn't really expect, but as the year went on and I watched more and more, it kind of got bumped down. It did still make the list because I think it's a really solid movie. Number 22 is one that I don't think a lot of people enjoyed, and that is My Best Friend's Exorcism. Now, this is an adaptation of the novel, and this was directed by Damon Thomas. I don't know. I just really liked this late 1980s set horror comedy. I think the comedy really hits. I think this movie hits its stride in the middle. Now, there are parts that I wish could have gone differently. There are other things I would have, you know, liked to like more about it. The thing is, is I just thought it was a really good time. I thought My Best Friend's Exorcism was a really good time. There's a lot of good stuff in there, particularly with a guy who's in this, like, brother's performance act with a church. I think the way that plays out is pretty cool. I think the whole thing's cool, honestly. It's a little slow at the beginning. I don't necessarily love the ending, but it's just something that we're not really getting a lot of, and I think it does scratch that Fear Street itch. Maybe not as, you know, brutal or anything as Fear Street, but I really like this one, so... I know a lot of people did not. I just thought it was a good time. The comedy worked for me. The horror bits, I mean, there are actual horror bits worked for me. I would have liked to see even more of that section in the middle where one character is kind of, it's the possessed character, and she's really trying to go after, you know, her friend group and all this stuff and letting the demon really take control. And I love that part of it. I love the, uh, you know, the title exorcism at the end. Maybe that's just me, but I thought it was a really good movie. Again, this is a very much a me type of movie. I'll throw that disclaimer up front. If you're a fan of the book, I've heard a lot of people who are don't like this, but it's my thing. Number 21 is Moloch, and this is another foreign language film on my list so far. This was from the Netherlands. And I think what Moloch does a great job of is building this lore and the world around these characters. And I think the characters are really good, too. I think Moloch is just... I mean, there's a lot of tense moments. There's a lot of creepy moments. And I think it builds up so well. Now, the reason Moloch doesn't go up higher on my list is I don't think it quite sticks the landing. I would have liked to see a little more out of it. But it's still a solid kind of folk horror movie. Again, if with a different ending, this could have landed way higher on my list. But as it stands... Moloch is number 21. Okay, at number 20, you get the first of the legacy-type sequels that will appear on my list. And maybe maybe legacy sequel isn't the best term. I guess it is. But what we have here is Hellraiser, which premiered on Hulu. And this was directed by David Bruckner, who did The Ritual and The Night House. And those are both films that I, I liked. I didn't love every aspect of them, but I did like both of those movies. And Hellraiser is just a... Now, I have a great love for the original Hellraiser. It is one of my favorite horror movies of all time. I'd say it easily fits in my top 25 horror movies. The second one I like a lot as well. So, after a string of disappointing sequels, it was great to see a new director and a solid director take the helm of a Hellraiser movie, maybe give it a little more budget, and they released it on Hulu. I think the visuals in this movie are amazing. I think the visual storytelling is strong. 
I really love that aspect of it. One thing in particular is ditching the leather and chains and all that kind of stuff and going for a different aesthetic. I think it makes this movie kind of stand on its own. I think very similar to the original Hellraiser is you get enough reason to care about the characters without there being too much. Now, of course, I will always take more character development for sure, but I think there's enough here to latch onto the characters and want to follow their story. I love that it's kind of this new take on it and it's set in a different, I don't know if it's set in a different universe, but it's its own type of thing. They're not just reusing the same uh, Cenobites or anything like that. So I'll really commend it for doing its own thing and going in its own direction. Now the one thing, there's just something off about the Hell Priestess in this for me. That character is just too glossy and too, like, I don't know if it's an Uncanny Valley thing. There's something a little bit off about that character. And that does hamper my enjoyment of the movie. I still think it's a fantastic movie. I don't think it's anything against the actor or anything like that. I think it's more of a design choice or something with... It just seems unnatural and not in like a creep me out type of way. That was really my only complaint. I think there were a couple spots in this movie where it just seemed like too glossy and too... That's what I'm basically trying to say. It's just too glossy, too well-produced. And there's just something off about some of it. But I think Bruckner did a great job. I would love to see more of these spinoffs by Bruckner. Uh, maybe start his own trilogy or just a couple movies. I don't care. I'd like to see where Bruckner could take this going forward. My number 19 is the always controversial Halloween Ends. You know, as someone who didn't like Halloween Kills at all and just thought Halloween 2018 was okay, it was a solid movie. It was good enough. Although looking back, after seeing Kills, I would rank Halloween 2018 much higher. But Halloween Ends was the first one to hit all the right notes with me. Now listen, I have my complaints with it. This isn't like a, you know, this is a 7.5 out of 10 still. This isn't like a home run or anything like that. But I actually like, divorce this thing from the rest of the trilogy. I know some people can't. That's how I like it. I, I will watch this one as a standalone without any other context going in. I like the way the characters are designed and developed here. I don't really care about their choices from previous films because I don't really care about Halloween Kills that much. Now, putting it into perspective, does it make sense when put with the other ones? No, not necessarily. But, you know, I didn't mind. I liked Corey as a character. I liked the way that played out. There were things here and there that I didn't like. I don't care that Michael was treated as, like, this sore rat or whatever he is. I don't, it doesn't really bother me that much. You know, I'm a huge fan of the first four Halloween films. And, you know, I like some of the other ones after that. But it just didn't really bother me the way Michael was treated in this film. I thought it told a good story. Now, it's a little ham-fisted near the end, and I don't know about all of that. But I think there's a lot of good moments in this movie, and I just enjoyed going along for the ride. This is one of the rare movies that I've watched twice this year, so my position stands on where I rated it. That's all I'm going to say on Halloween Ends. It fits into my 19th slot. Number 18 is one that I snuck in... And there were a number of these that I snuck in late, and they made a run for my top ten, Bones and All. Here's the problem with Bones and All, and it's a tale of two films with me. I know this probably won't bother a lot of other people. A lot of people seem to have it higher than me, and a lot of people, you know, 
really loved this movie. This is the first of my 8 out of 10s. Bones and all for me, the big issue is Timothy Chalamet. I didn't connect with his character at all. I didn't like his character at all. And what it caused me to do was disconnect from the love story itself. And that is a main point of this movie. A lot would argue that maybe, which I went out to social media on this, maybe a lot would not argue that this isn't horror. I think pretty much everyone unanimously said this is a horror movie. And I will go ahead and second that. There's a lot of horrific stuff with like the world itself. I love the lore and the background of this world. I love the characters and the acting of Taylor Russell and Mark Rylance. Both of them are fantastic in the roles that they play in this movie. Again, my biggest problem is Timothy Chalamet, and I just could not connect to the character. He took me completely out of it. I don't think I don't think he's a bad actor. I just don't think he's for me. I don't know. He just completely took me out of bones and all and kind of ruined the experience for me because if you take his character out and rework this with a different character, I, I don't know if it works for me or not. I don't, I'm not going to say that. But I think Taylor Russell was so good in this and the parts where she's in it by herself or with other people, I was just so high on. I mean, I this could have easily made my top 10 if not for the issues and hangups I had on it. With those issues and hangups, I had to leave this one back further. I couldn't put it up higher because the film failed to capture me in the main thing that it set out to do, and that was the love story. And that usually doesn't happen for me. I usually do connect with those, but that's my problem with Bones and All. I know a lot of people will have this one higher, but I just wanted to describe my issues and hangups and why I don't have it higher. But, you know, as someone who really didn't like this director's previous effort, and, you know, there's a lot of baggage that came with that for me. Um, I was really surprised to like this one as much as I did. Okay, moving right along to number 17, we have Pearl. And Pearl, I think, takes a little bit to get into the horror aspect. I think a lot of it is more of a social horror type of aspect. There is that straight-ahead horror for sure. It's really cool seeing the origins of Pearl. I think there's a lot of awkward and weird and uncomfortable moments in this movie. And I think that drives a lot of the horror, apart from like the straightforward stuff. It's nice to see all these different connections, some more apparent than others, that this film has with X. I think this was the right way to see it, to see X first and then Pearl I didn't really know what to expect with Pearl going in. I mean, that trailer was pretty crazy at the end of X. But it delivers. Mia Goth gives a very good performance as her character in this one. And, you know, I can't wait to see the follow-up Maxine that completes this trilogy. I'm so glad that Ty West was able to be able to put this trilogy together and film all three and it was such a surprise and such a great move to be like oh here's a trailer at the end of this movie oh yeah it's going to come out like a few months after the original movie we don't ever see that this was shot you know back to back I like Pearl a whole lot um this was one where as I got to the year-end crunch this one just kept falling and falling it's nothing against Pearl like I said I would contend that I have a really good top 50, really good for me, like I feel good about my top 50. 
So for something to get this high even, I think is quite an accomplishment, and I really like Pearl. I don't think it's necessarily for as wide of an audience that X was for, but man, Ty West came back with a vengeance and really put together two of the best horror movies of the year. Number 16 is one that came out earlier in the year, and one that was very high on my list. I think I'll echo some sentiments of other people when, I think Bill Van Begwood said this too, is early on in the year, there wasn't a huge like influx of horror, or at least really solid horror. Now, there are plenty of early horror films that are still on my list, but this was one of the ones that I saw early, and it was really high on my list for a while. Unfortunately, more stuff came out, and it kind of got bumped back, but I think this is an amazing minimalist-type film, and it's done by a family, uh, that is the Adams family, by the way, and it is Hellbender. Now, I'm a big fan of what they did with this kind of witch story in Hellbender, the way they told it. Like I said, it's so minimalist. It's so bare bones and just pure filmmaking. I think they did some really cool stuff in the end with some visual stuff. Oh, I really love that. And you, I love seeing this young girl and going through what she's going through and her mom trying to do different stuff to guide her along the way and whether or not she's going to be receptive of that or not. And I think that's in general. I mean, the stakes are a little more dire here, but I think everyone can relate to that type of thing, especially if you know you had arguments with your parents or because of something they were making you do or you are doing stuff for your kids to try to protect them. I think a lot of people can connect with that. And Hellbender, I think, is a big step up from The Deeper You Dig. I did like that movie too, though. And I can't wait to see what The Addams Family does next. I hope they keep getting bigger budgets and they can just do bigger movies. But I I don't want them to get to a point where they're too big. I love that they do these family movies and everyone's involved. And they just put their hearts and souls in these movies. And I don't want them to lose that. That is my number 16. It is Hellbender. Alright, we're in the top 15 now. And at number 15, this is one I've gone back and forth about because I don't think, upon first watch, it doesn't live up to its predecessor. But I will say with its predecessor is I had it about this point in the list on the year it came out. And on upon rewatch, it shot all the way up. So this could do it on rewatch too. This one is Satan Slaves 2 Communion. This is directed by Joko Anwar, and he is one of the top Indonesian directors. He's done a lot of good stuff, and he's pretty much like the, you know, he is the Jordan Peele or Ari Aster, whoever you want to insert there, of Indonesian filmmaking and horror today, I think. Satan Slaves 2, I think it's less scary than the first one. I love sequels set in apartments. I don't know why. There are just certain sequels that I do like in apartments. I think it adds to something, and I think this had a lot of potential. I'm a little upset that they moved locations from the ending of the first movie. Like, this was supposed to be set in one apartment, but they'd already moved out of that apartment to a new one. But what you get in the apartment is you get this haunting that happens, get on a bigger scale. It happens to more people. It happens in a wider area, and it allows for more set pieces. 
again, the horror didn't necessarily connect with me on this one the way that it did in the original, which was a remake itself. But I will say that the characters are what really kept me driving. I loved the way they used the characters in this. Listen, this is a brutal movie. This is not for the faint of heart, I will tell you that. And I think what they set up for the sequel, I am so excited. This could end up being at the end, that middle trilogy, middle part of the trilogy. And we know a lot of times that middle part of the trilogy doesn't fit as well or make as much sense until you see the entire trilogy. And I think that could be this one because this is, it just builds and sets up something that's going to be, I think, pretty cool in the third iteration. I know they're going to do a third iteration of this one. I can't wait to see that one. I think it's going to be incredible. I don't know, maybe my hype level is too much, but I think what they are setting up is really cool. And also there's a scene early on in this film. I think it's the first set of scenes. It's really disturbing, and I thought it was going to set the tone for what we were going to get. I still think this is a good character-driven story. I still think there are a lot of good moments in this. There's a lot of good, you know, violence and that type of stuff in Satan Slaves 2. If you haven't checked this one out, make sure you do. And, of course, watch the original first because these are connected movies. We'll see how it fares upon a rewatch, and we'll see how it comes together when the third one comes out. I'll probably watch all three together when the third one releases. Okay, number 14 was another big surprise, and I don't think a lot of people have checked this one out. I think it released in October here in the U.S. This is a French film, and it is called Some Like It Rare. Now, at the end of this year, I kind of went on, you know, just a week ago, kind of went on a cannibal run. You know, I watched this one, I watched Bones and All, and I watched another one called Feed Me, that was recommended by Bill Van Vegel. Some Like It Rare is the cream of the crop to me, and it's that way because it did something that Bones and All didn't, for me personally. And that is connect to a real, kind of a realistic take on a love story, what actually is the reality of life and how things go along. I absolutely love the characters in this movie. It is a bit of a horror comedy, but there's a lot of good horror moments in this one. Ah, man. This is great. It's about, and I'll set it up a little bit because you probably, a lot of people probably haven't watched this one, but it's about the husband and wife that own this butcher shop and they're going through tough times, not only in the butcher shop, but in their marriage. They have a couple who are very successful that are their friends who, you know, the guy's also in the same business, but he has several butcher shops and it seems like a bigger chain and things like that. But they start dealing, you know, their store gets attacked by some vegans and, you know, they spray blood everywhere and damage their shop and all that. And it kind of leads them down a path, an unexpected path, and not really one that they set out on, but that would change their lives and their business forever. Man, this one is so good. It's It's got about everything. I Again, I love the dynamics and seeing the husband and wife, even though it is played a little comical. There's an actual story, an actual realistic anyone who's married has probably gone through rough times and they're trying to get through that and work through those times and you know things that are going to help it and not help it but this one is just so good it was an underrated gem for me that I stumbled upon you know I had this on my list when I heard about it when it came out and I think only a couple people that I know have seen this this is one you would want to go out and see immediately on this list because I think the rest of my 
top, you know, what we got here, 13 films, are going to be a lot more predictable. This is my kind of hidden gem pick of the whole list. And I love Some Like It Rare. You can go and rent it wherever you rent your movies. Definitely check that out as soon as possible. Okay, let's cruise on over to number 13. And like I said, it's going to get a little more predictable from here on out. And there's really no helping that because we got so many good theatrical horror movies this year and bigger budget horror movies and bigger budget streaming movies. We really did. There are still a few, you know, foreign language independent films that I am want to put on my list coming up, but a lot of this is going to be big budget stuff or at least theatrical releases or big time streamer releases. And I think that we're getting back to a place where that can happen. You know, my 2020 list was very different because I only got to see, you know, a couple handfuls of horror movies in the theater. And a lot of that was more independent and streaming stuff. So this is kind of a return to the big theater releases. And I think we had a lot of those this year. So number 13 is Smile. And Smile is, I think the only reason this one didn't go up higher for me is because of that ending, which I'm going to be honest with you, I don't love. But I will say that this was one, unexpected. And two, I don't get creeped out by horror movies a lot anymore. Smile, some of the effects and what they did in this movie, and it's not even like big effects or anything. It's not anything you'd see in like It, the It remakes. But they were so effective and got under my skin. And I, my skin was really crawling when I was watching this thing in the theater. And I thought to myself, you know, I don't get to feel that a whole lot anymore ever since, you know, I've become almost numb to like getting scared by horror movies. Now there's still movies, there's usually a few every year that'll get to me. Smile was one that got to me, so I had to keep it up this high on the list. And I do like it. I think it's a really good movie, regardless of what I think the ending goes like. But I think there's just... Yes, there are a lot of jump scares, but I think they are well-orchestrated and they're earned. And they're well-designed jump scares. So Smile is great. I don't need to say a whole lot more about it because people seem to love Smile. Alright, number 12 is Piggy. Piggy was another late-year addition for me. This was directed by Carlotta Pereira and is another Spanish film and it's kind of a coming-of-age type story and a girl who deals with bullying. Piggy is definitely one to check out if you haven't seen it already. I've heard a lot of people praising it within the horror community and I think rightfully so. Piggy's just a great ride and your heart kind of breaks for this girl and anyone who's been bullied or has had to deal with that. I mean, it's not easy and what she goes through... It's all very, yeah, maybe it's played a little bit like it's over the top, or I don't think it's played over the top. I think maybe the situation is a little bit greater than normal, but, or exaggerated maybe, but I think you can really connect and understand what she's going through and why she's making the choices she made. So Piggy is a must-watch, another international horror movie, which I think we had a pretty decent year for. I think we've had several decent years for international horror movies, you know, non-domestic movies, and it just keeps going. This is probably the most heated position on my list because we're getting into that traditional top 10. This is the last one on the edge of that. I went back and forth on these two movies. In the end, I might like my number 11 a little more. I don't know. It's very close. 
but my number 10 is more original, where this is much more a safer me type of film, very much a me type of film, and that is Watcher. Now, the director is Chloe Akuno, who is already set up to do a Fear Street movie, and I can only imagine, you know, taking this kind of thriller elements and or what she's done with Watcher, and putting that into Fear Street. These are two different types of my types of movies. You know, Fear Street is one thing that I really get into, and on the other hand, I really get into these type of thrillers like Watcher, and I would liken it something, you know, it's a little bit like Rear Window for sure, but you've also, just those standard Disturbia, you can say. You can say other thrillers that we've seen previously, things like Greta or Unsane, I think it has a little bit of that going for it. And I love all those movies. It also ticks the Micah Monroe box, which is a big deal for me because I do really like her as an actor, and I've been following her since probably It Follows, and she's done some great things like Tao and Villains and all this kind of stuff. I really like almost her entire body of work. This is mainly about a woman who moves with her husband to, and I can't remember where it is, if it's Hungary. It's, I think it's Budapest. This is the city that they move to. But regardless, um, she starts to think that someone across the street in a different apartment is watching her. She's already having trouble fitting in because she doesn't speak the language. She's kind of just trying to find her footing and has this going on at the same time. So it kind of delves into that paranoia and that thriller type movie. I really like that. This is my type of movie. It's not doing anything new, but anytime this type of thing comes out, it's going to be higher on my list. And I think Watcher is a good, solid movie, and I think it's a very accessible movie compared to some of the other movies on my list. I think you could get almost anyone to sit down and watch this movie. And I really do like Watcher a lot. It just missed cracking the top 10, I think, because it doesn't have that same originality as my next choice. But. Watcher is still a very solid movie. Okay, into the top 10, and we're going to kick it off with a bang. A little foreign indie movie called Hatching from Finland. Hatching was another one of those that I saw very early on in the year. And I really did connect with it immediately. I love the story of Hatching. I love the girl in this movie. And I like, there's, (laughs) the characters are so despicable on purpose. I mean, I think I only like her and one other character that comes, one other male character that comes later on in the movie. But this was directed by Hannah Bergholm as her feature film debut. And Hatching is so unique, and I love the character and creature designs. This could have immediately been just low-budget trash or cheese. I mean, it really could have been, but I think they do a really effective job with the creature design in this and what it ends up being. I really like this film a lot. It's just one that stuck with me with these themes of coming of age and, you know, turning into your parents and all these other fears that you maybe have as a teenager. I think it captures that. I've never been a teenage girl. I can admit that. But I still think there's some, some nuggets in here that everyone can pull out. So Hatching is very good, and I recommend checking that one out if you haven't. I know a lot of people have seen this one. This is one that came out early. And again, has been on my list pretty much in my top 10 the entirety of the year. It might have bounced out for a little bit, but I remedied that recently. Okay, we are at the last of my 8.5 type films. So from here on out, 
you know, after this one, we're going to be getting nines and above for me. And that's what I'm saying is this year is very deep. I don't know necessarily that it holds up at the top, but to have my top eight films to be a nine or higher, I think is a pretty big deal. Now, maybe I'm overrating some of them. That's for you to decide. I'm just telling you the way that I feel. So number nine is The Cursed, which is a terrible name. They should have stuck with uh, Eight for Silver, which is a title I had followed since I think I heard, I think it was Nathan Bartlebaugh and and Wolfman Josh over on Horror Movie Podcast that had previewed the Sundance movies. And I remember hearing about this one and I was really excited for it. Now this is billed as a type of werewolf movie, but I think it's even deeper than that. I love the backstory that this one goes into. And again, if you want to get me immediately invested in your film, create this cool world and create a varied and interesting world and something I haven't seen before, and I'm going to latch onto your movie. And that's what happens here with The Cursed. Also, I think they do a good job of taking a turn that you're not necessarily going to expect going in. Yes, it's kind of built as a werewolf movie. I don't know if it's necessarily going to go down the beaten path of what you think a werewolf movie should be, and I think that's important. The biggest thing for most of these movies in my top 10 are they are innovating and doing something new and fun with a genre, and I think that's true for the most part. I mean, I think these films are all something unique and interesting. Not all of them. There's one in particular I'm thinking that doesn't have much uniqueness to it, but it just does such a good job of pulling you into this world, and it's a period piece as well, and we don't get a whole lot of good, solid period pieces especially not in the theatrical realm, that are horror movies. I mean, I really like the time this is set in. I really like the way they go with the story and the backstory and everything in this film. So The Cursed is definitely one to check out if you haven't already. Number eight is one that I wrestled with as far as like where to put on my list. I went back, I did not have time to rewatch it, but I went back and kind of looked at a plot summary and was trying to remind myself of this one because it was earlier in the year. And I try not to. So behind the scenes, the way I put together my list, is I start at the beginning of the year, I create a letterbox list. Anytime I see a horror movie, it gets on that list, and I rank it accordingly. Now, sometimes you're putting a movie you've seen in November up against a movie you saw in January, and you kind of have second thoughts and second guesses, and you don't know where to put it. Well, that's why, that's where some refiguring happens as the year goes on, but at least I'm having every horror movie on this list, and I'm having it ranked in a way where I can understandably put them together. So I'm running this list all year to make it easier for myself. So this is another one of those early movies. And really, we've had a string here where, you know, movies that I watched earlier in the year with Hatching and The Cursed and this one, we had a number of great horror movies that came out in like January, February, March. This one here is fresh. And again, I had to refresh myself on fresh. And remembered, I remembered the when going through the plot points of why I liked it so much and why I had it so high on my list to begin with. So fresh is, I think it's a really fresh story. You know, it starts out as one thing and kind of turns into another. I love where it goes. I love all the directions it goes in. Fresh is just a really cool movie. I'm not going to say a ton about it. I think it's on Hulu is where it premiered. Because, you know, everyone's talked about this film, everyone's watched this film probably, but the characters are amazing, the way the story unfolds is amazing. I just love Fresh, and I'm glad I remembered why I like it so much. Number seven 
is the Black Phone. And this is, again, the return of Scott Derrickson to horror. And once again, we have a movie that involves, you know, kids or teens in some harrowing situations. I love seeing stories from this perspective. It's the reason why in 2020, there was a particular film that made my number one slot that, you know, maybe others didn't agree with. But you involve kids in a harrowing situation, I'm on board for whatever reason. You can harken back to things like The Clove Hitch Killer, Summer of 84 from the same year. Like, if you put that kind of movie together, I'm ultimately going to be invested from the start. Now, whether that ends up being a good movie or not, it depends. This case, I think it is. I think The Black Phone, and I'm a huge Scott Derrickson fan. You know, I have been since The Exorcism of Emily Rose, and I think Sinister is one of the best movies of the 2010s, one of the best horror movies of the 2010s. I'd put it in my top 15, probably. It might sneak into my top 10. I can't remember. I did put that list together. I don't remember what was there. But Derrickson just has a way, and it's nice to see that he can come back from the big-budget trip that he was on and do a solid movie like The Black Phone. I think the way this story unfolds is so cool. I think the way, you know... You have the sister and the brother kind of battling on different battlefields to try to solve and figure this out and get out of this situation their own way. Ethan Hawke, who I am a huge fan of, does an incredible job in this movie. He is one of the best horror villains that we've gotten in the last couple years, I think at least, and I think that'll stand the test of time. I know this might not hit as much with some other people, but this is right up my alley and I have to recognize it for that. I really love The Black Phone. Number six is one that I've struggled with, and this is another one that's right in my alley, because this series is really my comfort food, I will say. I like the entire series. I mean, there's one entry that I don't necessarily think is great, but I still enjoy it, and that is the new Scream. So Scream 5, or whatever you want to call it, Scream 2022, I thought they did a really good job. This was the first one without Wes Craven. I thought the directing team, and I believe this is Radio Silence that did this, um, the directing duo, I think they did an incredible job with this one, and I wasn't sure, because this for a long time, now I did come down on this one. I gave this a perfect score when I watched it initially, and then I rewatched it just to see, is this a perfect score type movie? Is it still high on my list? It was still high on my list. It lost kind of that perfect score. And some other things came along to bump this one down a little bit. But this was a great Scream movie. It felt like nothing was lost in translation. I think they managed to put together a really good Scream movie. And I enjoyed it just as much, not maybe just as much, maybe a little less the second time. You know, I was able to calm myself down from that perfect score. But I think this was the best sequel type film to come out this year. As far as that, as far as I'm concerned anyway. And I think this is a pretty divisive film. Some people like it a lot. Some people hate it. But I am in the camp of loving the new Scream. And I can't wait to see the direction they take it in with Scream 6. This is a series that I'm probably not going to get tired of. There are certain series where I'm like, yeah, take a break. But I feel like the Screams have been so spread out since the first three came out that it's fine to put out some more. Now, I don't want you to keep going on and on. And Scream becomes a little weird where... It's one of the few franchises where people are like, oh, this person didn't really definitively die. I want you to bring them back in this one. Oh, this person's coming back in this one. I know they are. They didn't really show them dying. It's so crazy. 
and the links. Like, I loved a lot of the characters from Scream 4 too. Look, I was there day one on Scream 4. I was high on Scream 4 from the beginning. You know, I wasn't part of this revisionist history that we've had on Scream 4 recently. But, yeah, it just... Just keep doing what you're doing. I hope we get a couple more Screams out of this and then maybe take a break. I don't need a Scream every single year. But that is my number six. Okay, we're in the top five. And next up is one that I saw later in the year. I've debated on where to put this one on my list. I know a lot of people wouldn't even consider this one horror. But it is The Menu, directed by Mark Myloid. And this is just a superb film. This is one where the cast is incredible. Those kind of little things. There's so many little details and so many little touches in the menu throughout that are just incredible. And this is where we start my... Everything here on is a 9.5 on my list. So my top five are all 9.5s. And I think... With the menu, I don't know what it was missing to not make it a 10 or to make it, you know, number 5 on my list. This is one of the best top 5s I think I've had in a long time. And Anya Taylor-Joy is just incredible as always. You have Ralph Fiennes, who's great. Nicholas Holt and John Leguizamo. The entire cast from top to bottom does an impeccable job in this. And it's a great sense of irony and kind of that black humor, black comedy that really comes out in this. I was so surprised. You know, this was the last film I was looking forward to for the year. You know, when I was looking at the end of October, I was like, oh, there's not a lot of horror left, but this is the one that I'm looking forward to because it has Anya Taylor-Joy in it, and it delivered. It is such a good movie. It is such an entertaining movie. I think it has very mainstream sensibilities. I think this is one you could watch with your family, and it's not... Yes, it does have its moments of horror for sure, but there's a lot of lightheartedness in it, or maybe not lightheartedness in it, but again, that black humor that gives you a little bit of let up here and there. But the way they unfold this story and tell it, and the way the characters are written, and I tell you, the back and forth between Taylor Joy and Fines is just incredible. And I would watch another movie with just those two going at it. I really like this movie. It is my number five. Number four is. The feel-good hit of the summer, I think this came out in late August, maybe it was September, but that is Barbarian, and this was directed by Zach Kreger. This was one more than any other that just kind of came out of nowhere, I had no idea. Even Smile, I knew it was coming out, I just didn't know how good it was going to be. With this movie, I didn't know it was coming out at all until people started telling me about it, and I was like, okay, well I gotta go see this one in the movie theaters. The cast is great in this. Justin Long does a phenomenal job. I can see where people don't like the tone shift that happens in this movie. I can absolutely see that. And I'm not going to go into any specifics on any of this. If you haven't seen it, this is one that would be best to go in completely cold, which is what I try to do with most of the movies that I watch these days, is not look at any kind of marketing material if I can help it, and go in as blind as possible. I think that's the best way to see Barbarian. I know that's the best way to see Barbarian. And there's a lot of twists and turns and everything else, I think. The cast is phenomenal. The story is phenomenal. Maybe upon rewatch, I don't know how this one's going to hold up on rewatch, but I had no problem with the tone shift. I have no problem where it went with the ending. I just really love this film. That is my number four, Barbarian.
Number three, I've already talked about the sequel to this film, and that is Ty West X. It's not very often that we get... I can't remember the last time we got a sequel film this close to the original. Now, I know we've had stuff like the second two Matrix films and Kill Bill, which came out relatively close, but I don't think they came out this close. If I remember, they were more similar to like a year apart or so, maybe. Maybe I'm wrong on that, maybe I'm misremembering, but X is just incredible. I saw it earlier in the year. This was why probably my most anticipated coming into this, because I love Ty West even more so than Scott Derrickson. And his return here, it didn't disappoint. X is just an incredible movie. I love X. It delivers in both, you know, it gives you that slow build type of slow burn that West is known for, while also delivering on kind of the gore and violence that horror fans want to see. And there's not many films that can strike that balance. The cast here does an amazing job. I especially liked Kid Cudi, and I I didn't know if he had acted anything else before, but Kid Cudi did a great job in this one. The phenomenal cast. There's some really creepy and unsettling moments, some very uncomfortable moments for sure, but X is, you know, not one I need to talk a whole lot about because most people have seen it, most people like it a lot, and it is my number three. Alright, you know I can't put a top five together without putting some kind of international foreign horror film one here, and that is Eskil Votes The Innocence. I've heard a lot of talk that this is not horror. I frankly disagree. I think this falls in the same line as like Brightburn, which people had no problem calling horror. I think the difference is there was a lot more gore and violence in Brightburn, so people were like, oh yeah, that's horror. This one's not. In my book, The Innocence is horror, and it's my number two horror film of the year. I've talked about it how many times in this list. I'm predisposed to like coming-of-age stories and stuff with, you know, children in danger, things like that. And I think this fits that bill. It's a great concept, and I think the execution on the concept is just as good. I mean, I love the backstory. I love the characters in this and how they unfold, and I really think these kids are three-dimensional, even some of the ones that you don't necessarily think are. And this is such an imaginative film, you would be, you know, right to call this like a sci-fi fantasy movie, sure. I can see where some people don't think it's horror, but for me it is. And it's just, it just recaptures some of those magical moments in movies where we don't get a lot of these imaginative movies anymore from a mainstream level. But I think here we really do. I think the director goes to lengths to take us into this world and fully immerse us and make us believe that this is something that could happen. Now, my one biggest complaint with this movie is that the poster shot is never in the movie. That's my complaint, because that's a really cool poster shot. But anyway, I digress. The Innocence is great. This is maybe one, probably the one of the most on my list, my top ten list, that people maybe haven't gotten around seeing, and I thought everyone had, but... When I had posted about it, I know I saw people kind of jumping out and saying, hey, I haven't seen this, is it worth watching? It is absolutely worth your time. You may not come away thinking it's a horror movie, but either way, it's a great movie and it needs to be seen more. Alright, my number one horror movie of the year is another one that I've seen people debate that is even a horror movie. And this one's been divisive, and it's gotten a lot of flack, 
And I don't understand why. I don't understand why this one has been judged so heavily. For me, it was the most fun movie of the year. It was the most well-put-together film of the year. It was done by a director that's well on his way to legendary status. We don't know how his career is going to play out, but he's done a great job so far with all three of his films. I think they've all been enjoyable. They've all been in that 9.5 range for me. And this is Jordan Peele's Nope. Nope is, and I don't need to go into a lot of this because I feel like everyone has seen Nope, but there's just so much, there's the comedy there that keeps the lightheartedness to it. I don't think there was really any of that in Us, and there wasn't a whole lot of that in Get Out. This is his most watchable film, and this is the one I'll want to go back to the most, I think. Nope is just, again, it's a fun ride. There's some great characters in this, with Antlers Holst being one of my favorite characters of the year. I think they did a great job with that character in that story. And this is just, you know, Kiki Palmer doesn't work for me all the time, but that's really my only gripe with this. I think this is a fantastic, indulgent sci-fi horror movie. And it's by far my favorite of the year. I, I wouldn't say by far. Here's the thing. Is... This year, like I said, isn't as strong as the top for me. I think there are a lot of great, solid movies. I think it's a very deep year. But I think a lot of other movies in a lot of other years would beat out Nope. That's not saying that Nope isn't an incredible film. It is. But I would take the type of depth that we've had this year over the, you know, runaway, instant classic horror movie and then having the top ten kind of filled out with some maybe lesser movies, I don't know. I just think 2022 was such a great year for horror movies. Maybe we didn't get the highest highs, but we got a lot of good stuff. And a lot of variety. Everyone kind of got what they wanted. I mean, I think there's a good variety on my list as it is, but... Okay, so that is my top 25 horror movies of 2022. Be sure to let me know what I got wrong and what movies I missed over on social media of your choice. Now, before I transition into my next segment, I want to do really quick, and I did this last year, my favorite horror movies that you might have missed. These are any movies with less than 2,000 viewers. A lot of times, they're less than 1,000 on IMDb, or not viewers, but people who had logged it. So these are ones that are really under the radar. They didn't make my list, but I really like them. So the first one is Let the Wrong One In. I think this turned a lot of people off because of the title, thinking it was like a spoof or a parody of Let the Right One In. It's really not. It's just a fun comedy horror movie. And this one, I feel like hardly anyone has seen. There's definitely more people in our community that have seen it, but overall, not a lot have seen it. I really like Let the Wrong One In. I do want to give a shout out to this one too, which is House of Darkness. House of Darkness isn't going to be everyone's cup of tea. This is much more, and I wonder if there's something here with, like, the Daughters of Darkness comparison. I feel like it is very much Daughters of Darkness toned down a little bit. So it's a a tamer version of Daughters of Darkness. There's not as much of the sex stuff and nudity. There's not as much of the violence. And it's a very, very slow burn. And it's mostly just conversation, awkward conversations, and (laughs) things like that. But where it goes, I really love That is another Justin Long playing a lovable jerk character. I don't know if lovable, but you kind of like the guy even though he's a a real piece of work. Um, I liked House of Darkness personally, and I don't think enough people have seen that one, but I honestly, I think a lot of people will fall off of that one too. 
Next is When the Screaming Starts, which is a horror comedy about, it's kind of like The Rise of Leslie Vernon, except more comedy, less seriousness. I thought this was a lot of fun. It's not a top-tier movie, but it's one that a lot of people I don't think have seen, and I really enjoyed it. Then we have Medusa. This is a Brazilian film, which was recommended to me by Nathan Bartlebaugh. I don't see hardly anyone. There's one other person on my letterbox that's even seen this. This is a pretty cool movie. It doesn't go... The thing that held it back for me was it doesn't go where I wanted it to at the ending. It's kind of... Um, yeah, we don't get a lot of a punch at the ending that I wanted. I think it's still pretty cool. It's about religious fever or fervor, zealotness kind of in Brazil. I think it tells a good story with some really relatable, likable characters. It gets a little bit trippy in places where you don't know what's real and what isn't, but I think those are some of the aspects that I liked the most about it. Check out Medusa if you haven't. Another one that I'm surprised went under the radar is Adult Swim Yule Log on HBO Max. Now, I saw this one. I didn't watch this one until, uh, again, Nathan Bartlebaugh had mentioned this to me. Before that, I had seen it on a list of best horror movies of the year, so I think those two things kind of pushed me into seeing it. I saw it on HBO Max, but I thought it was just going to be some weird Yule Log video that, you know, like they have on Shudder every year for Halloween. But nothing prepared me for where this movie actually went. There is some of that Adult Swim stuff. There's some gross stuff in here as well. There's some aspects. This is like a kitchen sink movie. It throws everything at you. I'm not going to say what it's about. There's certain aspects that didn't connect with me, but there's so many cool things too. And the, its probably greatest flaw is it tried to do too much, but it was a very big surprise to me, very shocking that I actually liked this movie, and I think you need to check that out on HBO Max if you haven't. And my last shout-out here is a Bria Grant-directed movie who did a 12-hour shift, and, you know, she was in the movie The Stylist. I think she's done other stuff as well. I'm blanking right now. But um, Torn Hearts is about, and it's got Katie Seagal, who, you know, you would know from probably Married with Children or Futurama or Sons of Anarchy. She's done a lot of stuff over the years, but she plays this kind of country star who is out of the limelight, and her sister, who was her partner, had passed away, and that's why her act kind of stopped. And these two aspiring country artists that are a duo show up and talk to her and try to get some advice from her, and that's The story unfolds from there. I don't even like country music, but I think this is a really solid movie about the underbelly of that type of industry and how things play out, and I really do... I think this is an underseen gem. Those are my kind of underseen movies. These are all ones that have under, you know, 2,000 logs on IMDb, and it seems like on Letterboxd not a ton of people have seen them that I follow anyway. That is that section, and I'm going to move on. I have one more list to go through, and then we will get to the community top 10 list. Okay, with all of that out of the way, I want to do one more fun list before we get into the community top 10. And for this one, I want to talk about the top, and I just came up with an arbitrary number here like I am want to do, the top 15 first-time watches of 2022 that were not 2022 movies. 
So I scoured my letterbox, saw what I saw, looked at what I saw that was not 2022, and kind of picked the cream of the crop for me out of those ones. So this is just going to be really quick. I'm going to count them down. But I would recommend each and every one of these. I think all of these I'm at least a 7.5 and above, just like on my top 25 list. So number 15 is The Clairvoyant, which is an 80s film. And it has kind of the staples. I think the director is Italian or something. But anyway, it's about, you know, these people tracking down this handcuff killer. And there's someone who can draw and see pictures of the... The crimes and the killings before they happen, so uh, that's a pretty good one. Then you have uh, number 14, I have Rot, or, you know, that's an Indian film that's R-A-A-T, and it's, you know, a lot of fun. It's a really early 90s paranormal type movie. I mentioned this on my Best of 1992 episode with Nathan Bartlebaugh, so you can go back and check that out if you want a more detailed description, but that is number 14. Number 13 is the Vincent Price classic, The Mask of Red Death. I just love the colors and the visuals and everything in that one. Number 12 is a fun, unorthodox kind of slasher with Happy Birthday to Me. That's one a lot of people probably know. Number 11 is Body Snatchers, which is the Abel Ferrara version of the Body Snatchers. And that's a really good one from the early 90s as well. You've got number 10, you've got The Grapes of Death, which is a Jean Roland film. And one that's very interesting, I know it's not going to be for everyone, but one of the most accessible of his films. Number nine is The Bloodstained Butterfly, which is a giallo that I talked about on the giallo episodes. The next couple were on my Spanish horror episode, and that is Bloody Moon, which is a Jess Franco slasher type giallo film uh, that I really ended up liking. Number seven is Night of the Werewolf, which was my favorite of the Paul Nashie directed films and really all of the Paul Nashie films that I've seen so far. It's a really good werewolf versus vampire movie, and we just don't get a whole lot of that. Number six is Road Games, which stars Stacey Keach and Jamie Lee Curtis, and basically this trucker in Australia is trying to hunt down this guy that he thinks is a killer. Maybe the killer's following them. It's pretty good cat-and-mouse type movie that's not exactly... What you expect, it goes kind of different places after the opening, but Road Games is really good. Number five is the folk horror movie Allison's Birthday, which I really liked a lot. That is part of that All the Haunts Be Ours set from Severin that came out with all those folk horror movies, and you can probably still stream it on Shudder. Number four is Roh, R-O-H, and this is a Malaysian film which kind of goes into this folklore from Asia, and it tells a really good story about a family and a man wandering in the woods, and I really liked that one. Number three is Horror Express, which is a classic from the 70s that has Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee in it. Cannot recommend that one enough. Number two is Livid. This is from the directors of Inside, and this one finally came out and was available in the U.S., on Shudder this year, and I was not disappointed. This is one that definitely, their later films after Inside and Livid, I don't think necessarily stand up to these two, but I really do like Livid. Not to the level of Inside, but it's really good. And number one is a Jean Roland movie, and I tell you, 
in 2021, I don't think I would have ever told you that a Jean Relin movie would be topping this list, but I really did enjoy getting to know the films of Jean Relin. And if you haven't done that in like that 70s type Euro sleaze, I would absolutely recommend getting into that. And Living Dead Girl is a great entry point for that. It's brutal, it's violent, and it's also really entertaining with some cool visuals and everything else. I really like that one. So that is the list of older films, or basically those released before 2022, that I watched for the first time this year and really liked. So now we're going to go ahead and shift on over to the community's best of list, and this is what I've been waiting for. I'm really excited about this. Um, I've put together all of these lists, and we're going to see how it shakes out. Okay, we've reached the moment you've all been waiting for, or at least the one that I've been anticipating, and that is the community combined list for 2022. I always loved when they did this on Horror Movie Podcast and really gave the listeners a voice. Now, I will say I'm probably at about, I think maybe their last one they had about 40-some list, probably around half of that. So I think it's a pretty good list for the first year trying to do this. And a big step up last year when I only had one person send another list, and that was David Fear. And David was back again this year, I'm happy to say, so thanks for that, buddy. I'm hoping that this can grow each year, and I can continue to do this. Now, this is a mix of different, you know, listeners, community members, other podcasters, things like that. It's just kind of a big mismatch of that. And I really appreciate everyone who was involved in this and who participated. Now, here's the way this is going to go down. So, first of all, I'm going to go ahead and list out everyone who contributed and where you can find them. And then I will go down through a couple of stats and go down through the list itself, which I did a top 15 because, you know, I can't be limited to a top 10. I think I made the cutoff at like 30 points or so total. I'll give you the process for that in a minute. And then I will go down everyone's list who who did a list, but for those who are on other podcasts, because I did get a couple of podcasts on here for people that did top 10 shows or best of the year shows already, and I did get the full cast for a couple of shows, I'm just going to point you to their show. I don't want to ruin the surprise, I want you to go over there and listen to them. And listen, I'll tell you, Greg Bazzelli, someone like Greg Bazzelli said, you know, it's okay, you can just read out the whole list. I didn't really want to do that because I didn't want to ruin it. I want you to go over there and hear it from Greg himself if someone's actually giving their top ten on a podcast. You know, if you really want to see what Greg's list is, then, you know, you can wire me three payments of nineteen ninety nine, and I will send you the list, and you can look at it in all its glory. But I'm just messing with you, Greg. I know you don't care either way, but... You know, I want people to hear your list from you. Let's go ahead and run down the list. So from the Phantom Galaxy podcast episode where they had five members on there doing their best of the year. And by the way, I didn't just kind of go out and grab these lists. I actually got permission to use these people's list each individually. So it's not like I was going out and just grabbing these, just so you know. But from that podcast, we had Greg Bench, who you can find over on Twitter at QUA419. And you can also find him over on Facebook and many of the different horror podcast groups over there. Got Greg Bazzelli from Monsters in the Mosh Pit podcast. And you can find him over on Twitter at Monsters Mosh Pit. You can find him over on Facebook. They have their own Facebook group over there as well. With Victor Rodriguez, 
who is a writer, and he also manages some talent. And you can find Victor a lot of times over on Phantom Galaxy. You can find him on Twitter at Dime Store Caesar. I think Victor's on Facebook too. He also has a podcast called The Sound of Fear where he reads some of his works. So definitely check that out. Then you have, of course, Nathan Bartleball and Bill Van Bagel, who are the co-host of Phantom Galaxy. You can find them over on Twitter at Phantom Galaxy. You can find them in their Facebook group and individually over on Facebook as well. And I just uh, thank you, Phantom Galaxy crew. Go over there and give that episode a listen. They had some really interesting lists and picks. It's not just the ones you're going to expect necessarily. So moving down, we also have Brian Scott. And Brian's been around most of the groups, the podcast groups. He listens to a lot of podcasts, and I appreciate Brian, you know, always giving the show a shout-out. And you can find him on Twitter at Brian Darth Scott, and you can find him over on Facebook as well. He hangs out in most groups over there. And next we have Anthony Raguchi, who sometimes goes by Anthony R. and is a staple on the LOTC podcast as far as calling in. So is Brian Scott, I should mention. And I don't think Anthony has a Twitter, but yeah, thanks for sending your list as well, Anthony. We have over on Twitter that horror teacher who has the handle horror underscore teacher. And I really enjoy interacting with that horror teacher. So go over there and make sure to follow. Make sure to follow all these people because they are wonderful and put out some good content. And you can find that horror teacher's full list over there if you want to see the rundown and thoughts on the films, you know, one at a time. They were ran down over there on that Twitter account, so check that out. Next, we have Mike McLarty, who was the only one to send in an email for this. I was really excited when I saw that come through, so thank you, Mike, for sending that through. And Mike is a longtime listener of the show, and also, I think you can find Mike over on Facebook. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, if you hear this, but yeah, definitely go check out and find Mike over there. Next, we have Alan, who is at Niner. Two over on Twitter, and Alan, I think, is a recent follower, and I've enjoyed seeing Alan's tweets over there, so as always, follow everyone on this list, make sure you give them a shout out, and these are all great people that came and contributed to this list. Next, we have Billy Davis, who sometimes goes by Billy D, also calls in on LOTC and involved and listens to, I think, a lot of other podcasts. Uh, You can definitely find Billy over on Facebook, where he sometimes posts about the movies he watches and newer movies. I think he has a short review of Skinamarink over there now, so go check that out. Then we have Wes Jones, who is on Twitter at WesJones02, and Wes is the host of, one of the hosts of the Real Talk movie podcast, and definitely check Wes's podcast out. I love that show. Now, they did a top 10 all-genre, all-encompassing movies of the year, but Wes was kind enough to send in his top 10 for the year as well. You've got Will, who goes by Armored Foe over on Twitter and Instagram, I believe, if I have that correct. Yeah, I've known Will for a while now, and I appreciate him kind of scrounging together a list at the last minute for me. I just wanted him to be included on this. Will has a show called Shapes and Shadows. If you want to check it out, it's just kind of a short-form podcast. Sometimes, sometimes it goes over an hour, too. But he just picks a movie and kind of goes on about it. And it's very, very cool to listen to Will dissect and go into his thoughts, just kind of randomly stream of consciousness about a movie. And and I really do enjoy that aspect of the show. Then we have the LOTC podcast. And yes, Bill Van Vegel is also on that one. But I had 
uh, Greg Morgan, Pearl Morgan, and Dave Becker, of course, all send in their lists. So, you know, Greg Amortis, The Twisted Temptress, and Dr. Shock Dave Becker, all gracious enough to let me use their list from that show. Definitely check out LOTC's Best of the Year episode, which is a pretty massive episode, as are a lot of their episodes. But go over there if you want to hear their individual list and see where they ranked things. Then, as forementioned, we have David Fear, who is over on Twitter at the Davy Dave. I think that's the only place you can find him. But you know, I've been aware of David for you know through the years from the HMP community, and David's a real cool guy to interact with over on Twitter. So definitely check him out. Then you've got Dan Johnson, who I know mainly from interactions on Facebook within the different groups. Definitely go find Dan over there and follow his different thoughts. And I've got a little bit more from Dan when we go over his list, a little something he put together. But then you've got Sean Taylor, who is also a mainstay of like the LOTC group and all that. And Sean's always posting over there in the groups, and I really appreciate him sitting in his top 10 list. And then the last one was a complete surprise. Nathan Bartleball actually had his two kids put together a combined list for this episode, and I really appreciate that. I was really impressed by that and, like, the movies that they've been able to see this year. And the only challenge I put out there, you know, I know, Brian, you've got, like, a basketball team full of kids. I know, Wes, you've got a, you've got a toddler around the house. Where are you guys at? Get to getting your kids on these lists. Get their top ten horror list for these shows in. If not, you're just slacking and Nathan's showing you up here. I'm joking there, of course. But anyway, yeah, I was really surprised to get that in. And once again... I'm just so appreciative of everyone who sent in a list. I think this is really cool to have different voices from the community and people with vastly different lists come together, even though we'll see certain movies that made about everyone's list. And I think you see that every year. There's a lot of variety in this. And I am just so appreciative that we could put something like this together. Me being a numbers nerd, I love all this stuff. So from these lists, and we had 21 participants, if you count the Bartleball kids together, there were 62 total movies that were mentioned. And that's a pretty good chunk of movies, I think, to have from that small sample of people. So let me run down how I did this. And I will say, everyone's number one made the list except for You Won't Be Alone, which was on one person's top 10 list. And that was just outside at number 16. So if the you know, with this amount of people, if you had something number one, there was a really good chance it was going to make the list. I'll tell you, so how I put this together is is very standard fashion of, you know, putting a combined list like this together is I assigned every list number values. So your number one gets 11 points, your number two gets 10 points, so on and so forth. And if you had honorable mentions, and I do encourage, I didn't ask for honorable mentions. Some people sent them, some people just had them. I do encourage you to send in honorable mentions in the future. I mean, if you send me a top 25, I'll still take it. If you send me a top 5, I'll still take it. But any honorable mention, so like the number 10 slot movie got 2 points. Any honorable mention or anything past that top 10 got 1 point. So it's not like it's going to decide a whole lot, but there were a couple of these races that came down to 1 point. So that's something to keep in mind going forward. As I go down through this top 15, I'll basically just tell you how many overall points the movie got, how many lists it was on, and how many times it was ranked as number one on someone's list. 
Okay, so this has been a lot leading up to this. Let's just get into this list. So at number 15, we have Bones and All, and that brought in 30 points, was on four people's list, and was number one twice. So Bones and All was pretty much driven by being picked number one a couple times. Number 14, happy to see the Innocence on here with 32 points. Not much of a difference here. These kind of, the bottom three are kind of in a grouping, and then there's a whole middle group where things are pretty tight, and then the top is kind of by and far its own, but you'll see that as we go along. But the Innocence is number 14. It was on five people's list and was on no one's number one. Number 13 is Christmas Bloody Christmas, which racked up 32 points, so just edging out the Innocence. This was on seven people's list, but wasn't number one on anyone's list. So this one did it through quantity rather than, you know, the top spots on a list. But this is what makes it interesting when you add honorable mentions and you kind of stretch out the list because you can add more varying stuff. Number 12 is The Menu, and that was a big jump up to 44 points. That was on six people's list and didn't rank number one on anyone's list. Number 11 is Deadstream with 45 points, so a point over the menu. This one was on 7 list and, again, was chosen for no one's number 1. Number 10 is Scream with 46 points, so again, just a 1 point difference. It was on 7 people's list and it was number 1 on 1 person's list. Number 9 is Men, and Men kind of got jumped the last minute here. It came in with 49 points, was on seven people's list, and had zero number one spots. Number eight is Smile, and that came in with 54 points. It was on nine list and was number one on one person's list. Number seven is Pearl, which got 68 points, so a big jump up here. This is our next grouping of movies. It was on 11 different lists and it wasn't first place any times. And it shares a lot in common with number six, which is Terrifier 2, which managed to beat it by five points with 74. It was also on 11 list, and wasn't anyone's number one. So it took that just by being higher on people's list. It was on the same amount of list, though. Number five is The Sadness at 76 points, so two points above Terrifier 2. It was on 10 list and was number one on three different lists. Number four is The Black Phone, which had 77 points, so just beat The Sadness by one. It was on 10 list and was number one just once. So the thing with The Black Phone is it was high on most people's list. The Sadness uh, was lower on several people's lists, so it just beat it out by one point, even though The Sadness was a lot of people's number ones. Number three is the last in this grouping, and it had 81 points, so it beat the black phone by four. It was also on 10 list, but it was in first place four different times. So that was pretty impressive. That is the one that was on the most people's number one spots, and it came in third place. So it beat out the top two films, which were by and far the most voted for or most the ones that comprised most people's list, or were in most people's list. Uh, number two is Barbarian, which had 120 points, so a huge jump up. And it was on 14 different lists out of 21. And it was number one three different times. 
that leaves number one to be X, which I think is the most inoffensive liked movie of the year. And I said this when it came out, I didn't really hear anyone talking bad about it. And, you know, some people absolutely loved it and other people were just kind of cool with it and they liked it. So I had a feeling X was going to be high, but it did beat Barbarian by six points with 126. It was on 16 of 21 list. And it was also on first place three different times. So that is the community list. And the funny thing is we start to go down through the individual's top tens here. Is there are a lot of movies, there are so many movies, You Won't Be Alone was one of them. Different movies that just like were outside of my top 25 that I did earlier in the show. There were just so many good movies. I mean, there are movies on here when I'm looking through these top 10s, I was getting reminded like, hey, that's a solid movie. It didn't make my top 25, but I thought that was a good movie and it probably would have made my top 25 in another year. There was just so much variety and depth this year. I'll say that again, and we'll see that as we go down through these lists. So let's go ahead and start with the last list that came in, and that was the Bartleball kids. So Nathan Bartleball's two kids put together their list, and they had at number 10, Spirit Halloween, at number 9, Uma, at number 8, Jurassic World Dominion, at number 7, Fall, at number 6, Smile, and I will say here, um, Nathan has informed me, a lot of these movies they didn't see in their entirety. They saw the, you know, what I have dubbed the dad rector's cut where Nathan had fast-forwarded or skipped a couple of scenes that were questionable. So Nathan's not out there showing his kids, you know, X and Terrifier 2 yet. I'm sure that'll come in a couple years. But just wanted to throw that out there as a heads up. Uh, where were we here? Uh, number five was Deadstream. Number four is Violent Night. Number three is Prey. Number two is The Menu, and number one is Nope. That's a pretty solid list for, you know, if this is what the next generation's looking at, then it's pretty bright future coming up. All right, let's move on to Brian Scott's list. And on Brian's list, he had, at number 10, Gone in the Night. Gone in the Night's an interesting one. I didn't dislike that as much as other people did. I thought it was a fine movie. Interesting to see that on Brian's list. Uh, number nine is The Sadness. Number eight is Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Number seven is Barbarian. Number six, Studio 666. Love seeing that on there. That was a fun movie that just missed my list. Number five is Fresh. Number four is Deadstream. Number three is Terrifier 2. Number two is Christmas, Bloody Christmas. And number one was X. Then we have Anthony Raguchi's top ten list, which... I think he sent me a picture of his top 12, so I went ahead with his top 12 from Letterboxd. So I'll count those down at 12. We had Hellraiser. Nice to see Hellraiser on there. I enjoyed the new Hellraiser movie. It didn't seem like it landed as much as some of the other sequels to bigger franchises this year, but I thought it was a cool movie. Number 11 is Barbarian. Number 10, Christmas Bloody Christmas. Number 9, Crimes of the Future. Number 8, Men. Number 7, Smile. Number 6, The Innocents. Number five is Mad God, which is a very interesting choice. Not something I could get into, but I have an appreciation for what was done in that movie. It's pretty incredible. Number four is The Sadness. Number three, Terrifier 2. Number two is Hatching, which I love that spot on the list there. And number one is Nope. And you all know I agree with Nope. Next to That Horror Teacher at number 10, Speak No Evil. At number nine, Glorious. At number 8, Incantation. 
At number 7, The Cursed. At number 6, Nope. At number 5, Deadstream. At number 4, The Black Phone. At number 3, Barbarian. At number 2, Moloch. That's a good choice. I can't believe that this... It kind of went under the radar. Either people had it high and on their list, or they didn't talk about it at all. I thought Moloch was a very interesting, very cool film from this year. Number one was X. Okay, over to Mike McLarty. And at number 10, it was Scream. Number 9, Terrifier 2. Number 8, X. Number 7, Bones and All. Number 6, Smile. Number 5, The Black Phone. Number 4, Don't Worry Darling. That's an interesting one to have in there. I don't think I've heard... I don't think that made anyone else's list. At least their top 10. Yeah, that was a cool one to have in there. Number 3 is Pearl. Number 2, The Menu. And number one, Barbarian. So there we have someone who appreciated Pearl more than X. I was the opposite way, and I think a lot of people felt that way, but I there definitely are people there that would like Pearl more than X. Okay, let's continue on. And next up we had Alan over from Twitter. That is Alan Niner 2 is the handle. At number 10 was The Cellar, which is interesting. I liked The Cellar a lot too this year. Again, that would probably fall somewhere in my top 50 but I couldn't call out everything this year. It was just such a good year for horror. Number nine is Watcher, which seems to be a mainstay at a lot of the bottom of these lists. And wasn't mine too, honestly. Number eight, Terrifier 2. Number seven, Orphan First Kill. I think that's the only time I'd see this in a list. And I really, I thought Orphan First Kill was better than the first, and I thought it was a good movie. So glad to see that one getting some love. Number six is X. Number five, Halloween Ends. Great to see that one kind of getting some buzz as well. Number four, Barbarian. Number three, The Black Phone. Number two, Smile. And number one, Scream. And believe me, Scream was at the top of my list for a while this year. Until I kind of rewatched it, calmed down on it, and some other movies came out to bump it. But I love the new Scream. Alright, Billy Davis. Number ten is Watcher. Number 9 is Bones and All. Number 8 is Pearl. Number 7 is Nope. Number 6, Barbarian. Number 5, Resurrection, which was an interesting movie. I liked Resurrection. Uh, Again, it didn't come close to my top 25, but I did really enjoy that movie. Uh, Wormwood Apocalypse, which I need to check out those two Wormwood films. I couldn't watch this one because I hadn't watched the first one. I'm curious about those. Number 3 is X. Number 2 is Hellbender which is a great little movie that I already talked about. And number one, You Won't Be Alone. So that was, you know, that was Billy's pick that just landed outside of the top 15. Next up was Wes Jones from Real Talk. You've got at number 10, The Black Phone. You've got at number 9, Speak No Evil. Number 8, Deadstream. Number 7, Barbarian. Number 6, The Innocents. Number 5, X. Number 4, Scream. Number three, Watcher. Number two, The Menu. And number one, Smile. And I said Watcher was hanging out the bottom of the list, but it's nice to see it so high up on Wes's horror list. Alright, over to Will, or Armored Foe. Now, Will gave me a full array of honorable mentions here, so I'll go through those. At number 15 is Scream. Number 14, Hellraiser. Number 13, Halloween Ends. Number 12, Dark Glasses. Glad to see that one getting some love. 
Number 11 was Prey. Number 10 is Watcher. Number 9, this is a first, and it would come up on, I think, the next list. That is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I remember this getting a lot of buzz at the beginning of the year. Wasn't necessarily my type of movie. But, yeah, the praise for that one kind of dropped off. Or, I guess people maybe forgot about it, or there was just other stuff that came out. But I'm glad that some people stuck on that one and did have Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Number 8 is Fresh. Number 7, Terrifier 2. Number 6, Nope. Number 5, Smile. Number 4, Men. Number 3, Speak No Evil. Number 2, X. And number 1, Barbarian. Next we have David Fear. David had one honorable mention and that was Speak No Evil. Number 10 is The Leech, the first time we're seeing The Leech on this list. I still haven't got to The Leech. Uh, I do need to at least check out The Leech to see for myself what that one's about. Number 9, The Innocents. Number 8, Pearl. Number 7, Smile. Number 6, The Sadness. Number 5, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And there it is again for a second time. I think those are the two lists that it made it on, but they're back-to-back on here. Number 4, Terrifier 2. Number 3, Scream. Number two, The Black Phone. And number one, Nope. All right, now we've got Dan Johnson, and I want to mention something about Dan's list. So Dan watches a ton of TV from what I've heard from when Dan posts over on Facebook and everything. So he wanted to include a couple of series on his list as well, which I thought was cool. And he had this little factoid because, you know, Dan knows that I'm into the box office stuff and I talk about it. And said, you know, Stranger Things 4, and this was as the time of when, you know, he had seen these stats, I think it was a few weeks ago. But there were 1.3 billion hours watched of the show, and divide that by 13 hours that it takes to watch it. And then multiply that times, you know, 9.17, which is the average movie ticket price, and you get 953743000 that it would take in if this was a traditional movie. And that's no small feat. I mean, I think any horror movie would love to bring in 953. I think it, when it came out, only brought in like 700 million. And that's one of the greatest horror success stories, at least in recent memory. So I really appreciate the math there, Dan, and doing that, those calculations to get us that number. Stranger Things is absolutely a phenomenon, and it's managed to penetrate the mainstream like a lot of stuff in horror just doesn't. But let's go ahead and get to Dan's list. So at number 13, Dan had Pearl. Number 12, The Sadness. At number 11, Mad God. Number 10, I love that he listed this one as The Cursed slash 8 for Silver, because 8 for Silver is by far the better name. Then you have at number 9, Deadstream. Number 8, Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities, which is almost like a Masters of Horror, where he takes different directors and lets them go. I have not gotten to that one yet, nor have I gotten to the next one on his list, which is Stranger Things 4, at number 7. But I will definitely get to both of those. There's so much buzz around those, and so many people enjoy those. Number 6 was Barbarian. Number 5, You Won't Be Alone. Number 4, Men. Number three, The Innocence. Number two, X. And number one, Nope. And the last list here is from Sean Taylor. Number 10, Sean had Studio 666. 
Number nine, Christmas Bloody Christmas. Number eight, Hellbender. Number seven, Prey. Number six, Hellraiser. Number five, The Cursed. I think that's the highest this has been on anyone's list, and I love seeing that that high. Uh, number four, The Sadness. Number three, Terrifier 2. Number two, X. And number one, The Black Phone. So I'll say it for the millionth time. Once again, thank you for sending in your list. Thanks for being a part of this. I had a lot of fun putting all these stats and stuff together. So would love to grow this next year. So just keep that in mind and you know start thinking about your list as you get through your 2023 watches. Also, just wanted to say real quick that I did have the contest running for this for everyone who sent in a list. And I will be giving away a 4K copy of The Lost Boys and a Blu-ray copy of The Black Phone. When I sent this in the randomizer, Dan Johnson was the first one that came up. So I will reach out to Dan and talk to him about, you know, which one he would like or if he would like either of them. And then I will go down the list after that to see who will get the other one. So I will be in contact soon if you are eligible for one of those prizes. With that, we're coming up on two hours here. So I think it is time to wrap this one. I'm going to go ahead and let you know what you can expect in the next coming episode. And then, you know, give my plugs and I will get out of here. It has been a blast putting together this episode. I love doing this type of episode where I'm just looking at a year and basically taking every piece of it and getting to rank it and dissect it. On the next couple of episodes, I'm going to do a new theme. We're on to a new theme since I finished up the franchise reviews. And these ones will center around 60s and 70s witch hunters and witches. So the first episode, the next episode I'm going to be doing, will cover the more witch hunter aspect. And I'm going to be talking about a few films that were, you know, came to prominence. And that is, you know, Mark of the Devil, Witchfinder General, The Blood on Satan's Claw, and lastly, since... This isn't really a witch hunter movie. It does have the kind of uh, more pagan and naturalistic and being in touch with the earth type stuff, and that is the Wicker Man. I just can't talk about Witchfinder General and the Blood on Satan's Claw without talking about this, and that'll become apparent if you don't already know throughout that episode. And then I'm going to pivot to the second episode, which I'm not going to tell you the films that'll be involved until next episode, but that one will be covering more of the witch sides. This one we're taking that look on the, you know, the Puritan witch hunters or whatever kind of witch hunters you've got. We're looking at some of those films. Next time it'll be from the witch's point of view where there's actual magic involved and that kind of stuff. So look forward to that coming out. I think that's going to be a fun conversation to just tackle a few movies and go into their histories. As always, you can find me over on Phantom Video, which we had an episode that came out... Oh, it's been a few weeks ago now, but you can check that out over there on the Phantom Galaxy feed. We have some big plans for that one coming up in this new year. And you can find the podcast over on Twitter at Screaming Ages. You can join the Facebook group over on Facebook, and that is just Screaming Through the Ages, a horror movie history podcast. You can send an email to ScreamingThroughTheAges at Yahoo.com. You can visit the website where all the podcast episodes are housed at ScreamingThroughTheAges.com. If you want, you can call in and leave a voicemail at 740-297-6556.
And as you probably know, if you're listening to this, you can find it wherever your podcasts are found. And as always, the way the podcast grows is by you telling your friends and sharing the word about Screaming Through the Ages if you enjoy the show. As far as, you know, telling people, leaving reviews, whatever you gotta do. If you love the show, I really appreciate you spreading the word, like always. There are some big things planned for this year that are starting to come to fruition. I think there's going to be an exciting series of stuff coming down the wire. I don't know how often um, I'm going to be able to do those, but I have some cool stuff planned coming up. Hang in there. Let me know, as always, if there's certain type of content you want to hear more of, if there's certain topics or movies you think would be good to cover. Just let me know. So until next time... Keep your eye on your favorite podcast feed for your next bi-weekly horror movie history lesson.